Here we are celebrating Easter, but I have to ask you this question. What makes this weekend, this holiday, such a big deal? What is the true significance of Easter? And the thing is, the entire world looks at this day for Christians, and a lot of people celebrate it not even knowing what it's all about. If you think about it, it, the traditional side of it is we have the Easter bunny and Easter eggs and family gatherings and the Easter egg hunts and all that kind of fun stuff, and that's all great. But what makes this day so significant and special is the deeper meaning behind it of what it actually represents So you see, it was this day in history that changed everything. Everything was changed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Wasn't just the life of Christ, wasn't just the death of Christ, it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, it was this day that gave us something. It was this day that gave us something that we live for every single day, and that is hope. God gave us hope through the story of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you say, hope, I know what that means. You know, I thought that too, because hope is a term that we use all the time. And it's part of our daily vocabulary when we think about it. Do we really even know what hope means? Hope is a confidence or an expectation of good. Let let me illustrate. This is how we use it. You, You go apply for a job and you really need a job. And you walk away and your family says, how did it go? And you say, it went well. I really hope I got the job. I'm going to ask you, what confidence do you have that's going to happen, that this is going to happen in your life? You have no solid confidence that that's going to happen. We use hope like this all the time. Say, well, I I, I hope I get a stimulus check. I hope it doesn't rain. I I hope the coronavirus is over soon. But the thing about it is we don't have any surety to any of that. We have no confidence of that. There's nothing that we can put our confidence or there's nothing we can put our hope in to say that is going to happen. Honestly, it's not that we should be using the word hope when we say that. We're really using the term wish. I desire, I want, I crave those things if they would happen. But the, the thing about it is in this world, in this life, we don't have a lot of confidence in very many things. Do you know why? Because everything in our life usually lets us down. Everything that we lean on, everything that we trust in, you think about it. In our world, when it comes to finances and you build up your retirement, you have a 401k, you have a savings account, you have a good job, and all it takes is for one thing to come along and all that falls apart. You're worried about whether Social Security is going to be there. You're worried if you're going to have enough money. You, you, you have a job and you're making good money and everything's going well and you, you rely on that for your home and your kids and your food and, and all of a sudden that can be gone just like that. Relationships can fail us. Parents can let us down. We, we can stand at an altar and say, I love you till death do us part and then somebody will cheat on you or your, the relationship will fall apart and everything begins to dissipate and you say, where is the hope? Honestly, think about it for a minute. What do we have in this world that gives us hope? What do you have confidence? What do you lean on that you say, I know for sure that this is going to be there? This is why a lot of people go through life feeling hopeless because things constantly let them down. This is why the Easter story, this is why the resurrection is such a big deal because through Jesus Christ, we have hope. We have this living hope. See, God knew we were hopeless God knew our condition. And the life of Jesus Christ is a demonstration that he came for hopeless people. His mission, his life was for the hopeless. 
the life of Jesus Christ teaches us so much. See, we all have this idea of who God loves and why he came. And we have this idea that it's all about the religious or the perfect or the good. That is why when we even talk about church, and a lot of you have might even made this comment, said, well, if I walked into that building, the roof would fall in. You say, why is that? Because you think in your life, because of the things that you've done, that they're contrary to the word of God or they're contrary to God and God would strike you dead or make the building fall in or whatever. And that is a, an idea that we all have in our minds, that we are worthless or we're in trouble or we're beyond hope or help. But when you studied the Bible, the entire life of Jesus Christ was about help and hope for the hopeless. I started thinking about this. We have the four Gospels, and it walks us through the life of Jesus Christ and who he came for and what he did. And I know right now we're talking about the death of Christ and the burial of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, and that's what Easter weekend is all about. But go back some. Think about what was leading up to that. Jesus lived for 33 years. Three years of his ministry was ministry for people, for people like you and I. And you think about every one of those stories of who he was going to or why he was going to them or what it was all about. And I started thinking this, that Jesus came to help those that no one else could help. Literally, the entire message or the entire mission of Jesus Christ was not just going to those that religious, those that had it all together. He was going to the hopeless. He was going to those that needed help. I, I thought, let me break it down like this. He showed hope for the guilty. We know this story in this Bible of the women, this woman that was caught in adultery. She was literally caught in the very act of adultery. They grabbed this woman, brought her out into the street, threw her down. They had the stones in their hand that was going to take her life because in that day they had this brutal punishment of, uh, of taking somebody's life if they did a crime or a sin like that. They're standing there with the stones raised in their hand, ready to take her life because she was guilty, found in her sin, found in her crime found in what she did wrong, and there was nothing that could change that until Jesus stepped in and he began to speak words of truth and write on the ground and set her free. He came for the guilty. Are you guilty? Have you done things that are wrong in your life? Maybe things that nobody even knows about? We have the story of the maniac of Gadara that tells us about the oppressed. This man was shoved out of the city. He was lost in the tombs. He was possessed with demons. He was consumed with these issues. Nobody could help him. Nobody could change him. He was oppressed. He had something that had gripped his life that he could not break free from. And I started thinking about how many people live in this life that are addicted to something Maybe it's something insignificant, something that's literally bigger than that, that's changing your life or destroying your life, but you can't get free. You are hopeless in that situation. There was one day that Jesus went after that one. He showed up on that shoreline and he cast out that demon. He did what no one else could do. Think about the story of the prodigal son, the one that was living the good life and doing right. And he got rebellious and he went off and he ran to the world and he began to live in sin and he lost everything. And he ran back to the father and the father forgave him and restored him when he thought that it was hopeless, that there's no chance for him. Those that have made mistakes like Peter that denied Jesus Christ three times, Jesus sought him out on the shoreline and restored him and loved him and helped him. For those that are condemned, you think about even the story of the, the Jesus dying on the cross, there's two thieves. Have you ever thought about why there was two thieves, one on the left, one on the right? 
The one of them's crying out before Jesus saying, you're guilty, you deserve to die. The other one recognized his sin and recognized who Jesus was. And he said, Father, forgive me. I'm sorry. I, 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 I am guilty and you are not. And God, through Jesus in that moment, said, today you will be with me in paradise. You talk about he was condemned at the end of his life. He couldn't do good works. He couldn't do better. He couldn't change who he was. He couldn't go to church. He couldn't get baptized. He was utterly hopeless until Jesus. You see, all of these stories prove that Jesus came for the hopeless. You say, I identify with one of those. I tell you, we all identify with one of those. Every single one of us line up either being oppressed or we're guilty, we're lost, we've run from God, we've messed up or whatever it is. He came for you and me. You see, the entire ministry of Jesus is he came for the hopeless. But see, he didn't just come for the hopeless. Here's the next thing. Jesus came to confront hopelessness. He came to confront it. That Jesus came to change things. You think the ultimate illustration of feeling hopeless in life is death. Death is something you can't change. You can't run from. You can't stop it. You think about that. The richest people in the world are going to die. They can have private islands and private jets, but I'll tell you, they can't stop death. You can live every day of your life and eat the perfect diet, work out of the gym every single day, drink the right amount of water, take all the vitamins that you can, and I'm still going to promise you something. You're still going to die. Death represents hopelessness. You face something that no matter how much you wish it was going to happen, it's going to happen. You say, why is that? Well, the Bible explains that this hopelessness that we have in our life are things being out of our control that we can't change we can't anticipate the good because there is no good because of the sin that's in this world. And the Bible says that we have all sinned. We're all guilty. We, we, we have all had this payment of sin. The Bible describes it, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. You see, death, that hopelessness that is in our lives is because of sin. The wages of sin is death. Hopelessness is because of sin. But in our minds, we try to counter that. We think, man, if that's the wages of sin and I want to go to heaven and I don't want to go to hell and I want to be freed from this, well, I'll just be a better person. I'll do good. I'll change my ways. I'll improve. I'll, I'll see if I can't offset all the wrong that, I do, that I've done in my life. Doing good doesn't eliminate the wrong that we have done in our lives. Just like if a guilty criminal went before the judge and he was a, a serial killer or something crazy like that. And he said, yeah, but I gave to the church. And the judge says, well, you can go free. No, it doesn't work like that. That, that You give into the church, are you doing good deeds? Are you serving in your community? It doesn't offset the crime that you committed. You are still guilty of the crime. We're guilty of the crime of sin because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Think about when the Bible says that in Romans 3.20, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No matter what, in all of my goodness, I still fall short. If the goal is here, the Bible says you don't even get close to it. Your good deeds, going to church, baptism, all the things that we put our confidence, our hope in, the Bible says that they all fall short. They're not good enough. They don't, they don't make the mark. It's not, you, you, we cannot pay the price of the sin. We can't because we're guilty to begin with. See, the only way to give us hope was through Jesus Christ. 
This is the where the amazing love of Jesus Christ steps into our life and gives us hope. You see, the cross was a demonstration that Jesus took our place. The payment of sin was death, and that could not change. See, Jesus didn't come to eliminate our debt. He came to take our place of our debt. He was our substitute. He, he took it on himself. The Bible says that he loved us so much that he did this because he loved us. Romans 5, 6 says, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we had nothing to give. You think about that description. When we were without strength. When there was nothing that I had that I could do to change it. When there was nothing that I could give to change it. When there was nothing that I could do without strength. Literally, I'm standing there in my hopelessness and there's nothing that I could do. The Bible says while we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You could put it like this. Christ died for those that were hopeless. He died for those that were guilty. He died for those that had addictions. He died for those that had run from God, that dropped out of church, those that have done the most horrendous things, like the thief on the cross that was dying next to him for crimes that he committed and he was guilty of. He died for him. He died for the maniac of Gadara that was oppressed. He died for those that were lost and ran from God. He died for those that were completely guilty, like the woman that was caught in adultery. He died for us. Romans 5.8 says, But God commended, God demonstrated his love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't ask us to clean ourselves up. There was nothing that we could do to change our condition. While we were hopeless, he died for us. He did this for us. And at the end of the cross, when he was on the cross, he cried out to his father, It is finished. The price was paid. The debt was covered. He did what he came to do. He came to set us free of our sins. This is what happened. But this is not what the disciples expected to happen. They didn't expect him to die. This part caught them off guard because I think through that, even though Jesus told them, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I have to die. They, they were tuning that out. And in that moment, you got to think right in front of their life, the one that represented hope, the one that represented life, died. The life left the life of Jesus. He died on the cross. There was no air coming out of his lungs. They watched him suffer. They watched life leave his body. This had to be confusing for the disciples. Because Jesus said that this was going to happen. But all of a sudden it happened. And they're standing there in awe of what just happened before them. The one that came to give life just died. But in this moment was a moment of hopelessness for them. Because they had placed all of their hope in the one that did so many good things and promised so many things. And yet Jesus in front of them died like everyone else. Where is the hope now? Jesus was supposed to be our hope. On that day, Jesus did die. The breath left his body. He died on the cross. They took him off the cross, put him in the grave, three days in the grave. But on the third day, he came out. He proved that death and hell and the grave and sin had no hold on God, that he was greater than all of those things. Think about it. 
everything that represented our hopelessness in our life, Jesus conquered. The fact that we're going to die and death is the end, Jesus proved that death is not the end. The fact that sin is powerful and it takes life. When he came out of the grave, he was proving to us that he conquered sin. You see, Jesus was proving that he was our hope, not just our hope, our living hope, a hope that is alive, something that we can believe in, something that we can live in. The Bible says this in Revelation 1.18. Jesus said this. He said, I am he that liveth. I am alive. Jesus is living proof that there is hope and was dead. He did die, but he conquered that. And behold, I am alive forevermore. What God did through Jesus Christ could not change and it can't be defeated. It says that I have the keys of hell and of death. He was literally saying before them, I stand in authority. I conquered. I am the ruler. I am the king. I have hope. That's what the king, keys represent. I have hope and I can give hope. That brings us to this. See, Jesus came to be our living hope. We were hopeless. When it came to life, there are no guarantees. When it comes to death, it's going to happen. And when it came to our sin, we were guilty. And all of these things we could not change. But the good news is through what Jesus did, through the death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus proved that he changed all of that. He came to make things new. He came to give hope. He made things better. Maybe you've gone through life and you've been beat down and you say, all I get is dead ends. All I do is get hopelessness in my life. All I, I, I've had people walk out on me. I've had things fail me. I've had finances fail them. Here's, see, Jesus was telling us through all of this that he is something to believe in. He's something to give us confidence in. He's something to hold on to that he doesn't fail. He cannot fail. Have you been shook by what's going on in this world? Man, you talk about so much uncertainty, so many things that we just say, man, I just don't know. I don't know what's next. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what's in the economy. I don't know. But see, the Bible says that we can live in fear. We can have all these things go through our heart and mind. But God is the one that fills us with hope. He's the one that gives hope. Romans 15, 13 says this, now the God of hope. Stop right there. It literally says that he is the author of hope. He is the God of hope. He is the author. He is the one that holds it. There is no other hope outside of Jesus Christ. I can't emphasize that enough. Outside of Jesus, there is no hope. We can have wishful thinking. We can try to change our ways. But it comes to the things that matter in life. Outside of Jesus Christ, there is no hope. He says, now unto the God of hope. See, God is our confidence. He's the one that we can rely on. He's the one that we can trust in for life, for death, for our future, for our sin. The Bible says, Thou for the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. He's not only the God of hope, the Bible says right here, he's the giver of hope. He fills us with joy and peace. I love that word fill. Just think about how he's describing that. The reason why he's using it in those terms right there, because it's something you don't have. In order to fill something, it means that something has to be empty or lacking with that. We don't have peace and we don't have true joy. Joy is that inner gladness that we have in our life. That inner stability, peace is that inner calm 
that nothing else in this world can give. God says, I will fill you with this. I give you these things. He promised to fill you. He promised to give these things. And it says at the end of this, that you may abound in hope. It is not just something that he gives us. It's something that carries us. We live in it from here on out. It's something that takes over our lives. It doesn't go away. It doesn't stop. Everything in this life goes away and everything stops. Everything fails us, but God does it. God says, I'm going to give you something. It's through the death, burial, resurrection. It is hope. It comes from Jesus, the author, the giver, the one that holds it. He said, I'm going to give you something, but when I give it to you, it won't fade away. It won't die out. It won't let you down. It won't walk out of you. You see, it's not just for this life, but it's the life to come. See, the third thing is he is the guarantee of heaven. He says that you may know, the Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, these things I've written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. This is confidence. This is the hope that we're talking about. Because I think right now, everybody is questioning, is there truly a God? Are we coming to the end of time? Is, is God trying to get our attention? And I say yes to all of that. We don't know how much time that we have left, but I can tell you this, that God is trying to give us uh, warning signs. He's trying to shake us. He's trying to wake us up. And he said in this passage that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You can know. That's what hope is. That's what confidence is. In this life, I have no guarantees. I can go through life. There's no guarantees. But God said this, I'm going to give you something that is a guarantee. You can know that if you die, that you won't die in your sins and have to face hell. You can know that through Jesus Christ, if you die, that you have heaven. You can know this. There's a lot of things that I question in life. There's a lot of uncertainty. But the thing that I want to have complete confidence is, is, is when I die that I know I'm going to heaven. When I die that I'm not standing guilty of my sin. When I die that I know that I have the confidence of the hope in Jesus Christ. See, knowing this means that you are safe in Christ. I have hope. And in me messing up in life and me not going to church or me, me having faults and failures, nothing can separate me from the hope that's in Jesus Christ. You say, how is this possible? He said in that verse, these things have I written on you that believe on the name of the Son of God. You have to believe on the name of the Son of God. There is no other way. And Satan will do anything that he can to try to distract you from this truth and tell you that by you going to church or the good things that you do or, or the fact that there is no heaven or hell, he'll do anything for you to be distracted from what he's telling you right now. That the only way that you can have the hope of Jesus Christ is you must believe in the hope of Jesus Christ. The Bible puts it like this. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart. It is, a, it is something that you do internally. And right now through the gospel, through you hearing this message of hope and strength. Right now, maybe God is shaking you up. It's not just something you do. It is not just something you do as a, because you have a funny feeling or just because you want to do it because everybody else is doing it. You do it because God shakes you up and God spiritually speaks to your heart and wakens you up. He speaks to you heart and soul in a way that only the author of life can do, that only God can do. And he speaks to you and tells you that you need hope and you know that you're hopeless. 
But you have to believe in your heart. It's not feelings. It's not emotions. It's in your life, in your inner man, that you decide and you accept who Jesus Christ is. That, that verse says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and if you believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, the Bible says that you will be saved. You will have hope. Hell will not be your destination. Sin loses its control and its, its trap that it puts you in. You are set free through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it says in the next verse, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with con- the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Salvation, you'll be saved through Jesus Christ. I, I, I said all this to bring to you to this, the whole resurrection story, the whole Easter weekend is all about hope. Hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And I ask you this direct question right now. Do you have that living hope? Do you have that confidence, that assurity, that that confidence in your heart, knowing that if you were to die today, knowing that if God was to come back right now, that you would go to heaven where it would hell be your home. If you don't know that for sure right now, the Bible says that you can know. You can have that confidence, just like that verse said in John, 1 John, that you may know that you have eternal life. Say, how do I do that? It's simple. Just like this verse said, if you'll confess with your mouth right now, you say in your heart, God, I believe that you came. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you love me. I believe that I am a sinner. And I ask you, God, to set me free. I ask you, God, to take the sin from me. I ask you, God, to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and be my confidence and be my hope. The Bible says if we do that, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you pray that, you mean that, and you believe it from your heart, I've got good news for you. You are saved through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray for all those right now that are listening. Lord, I know that there's a spiritual battle going on in their heart and mind that Satan is telling them that they're fine and they don't need this and, and, and religion is a band-aid. And Lord, the fact that they are good enough to go to heaven. But Lord, help us to be reminded that no one is good enough in of ourselves. We've all fallen short. Nobody is good enough to pay for their sins. But Lord, you came to us. You died. You paid the price. You did everything for us. And Lord, we can have you in our life. We can have that confidence and that hope if we simply believe in you. I pray, Lord, that you'll help those right now, wherever they're at in their life, wherever they're at in their homes, wherever they're at right now, Lord, that you'll speak to them and help them, Lord, to know in their life that they can have you if they receive you and believe in you and confess you. We pray this in your name. Amen.